Um, hi, I'm Alexander Curlin, co-founder of Front Row Education, and you're listening to the App Guy podcast. The App Guy podcast, straight from your host, Paul, the App Guy, sharing his app entrepreneur journey with you for your enjoyment. And now, Paul, the App Guy. Welcome to another episode of the App Guy podcast. I am your host, it's Paul Kemp, and I love to go around the world and try and find literally the most interesting people that we can find who are involved in apps, anything app-related or getting involved in uh, some interesting, innovative uh, stuff. And uh, today is the turn of Italy. Uh, I've had a lot of guests who seem to be from Silicon Valley, New York, but uh, literally there are entrepreneurs anywhere. What, what, the, How that benefits you is that if you're listening to this, and you're based uh, anywhere in the world, doesn't matter where, as long as you've got uh, an internet connection and uh, you've got a passion for uh, app development, then uh, it can be, you can equally make it a success wherever you are. So that's why I wanted to go through the journey next of, uh, his name is Guk, uh, very easy to remember there, Guk, and he is the uh, founder of Chibando. Chibando, uh, you can uh, find all the links on uh, theappguy.co, it's episode 194, and uh, just go to the, that and you'll see all the links to his uh, apps and uh, website. But Chibando, it's got an app and he's got a beautiful website, really into uh, food. Can't wait to go through his journey. Uh, Guk, welcome to the App Guide podcast. Thank you very much. Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, first of all, what, what's inspired you to become an entrepreneur? Are you doing this uh, full time? Uh, perhaps you can tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what it is you're getting up to there with Chibando. I started my entrepreneur career when I was 16 uh, because um, I mean, my urge at that time was to, uh, to earn some petty cash for me to go to vacation with, uh, with my friends. And since my parents wouldn't give me any access to cash, easy cash, uh, I had to find some ways to do this. And one of the first activities that I did was to create a website called uh, Mawako Space. And that was the, success, the, the first success that I had. It was simply a website that allowed the users to edit their MySpace profiles. And that's how I started off uh, through online advertising and so on. After that first company, I started my second company that was called Mobater, and uh, this was related to mobile. And that was my first entry towards uh, the mobile industry and the mobile applications. This uh, helped the users to receive advertisements on their cell phones directly based on their interests. After that, uh, we started with Chibando because I sold the, the company, the second company as well, uh, after we raised some funding for it. Um, Chibando basically uh, was to solve a problem that I had when I was working on my second company, which basically was, where do I go eat? Because I was uh, traveling a lot for, uh, for the second company, and I never knew exactly where to go eat uh, when I was traveling for work and so on. So we started off Chibando. Uh, this was early 2010. Um, the iPhone in here in Italy was still something relatively new uh, for the people. In fact, I still remember that when we were going towards the users or to the restaurant owners talking about this idea, they were saying, "But you know, who's using an iPhone? The iPhone is crazy expensive. It costs almost 1,000 euros. Who's who's ever going to buy the iPhone, right?" It's a bit like <laughs> what uh, Steve Bob. Steve Ballmer was saying about the iPhone. Uh, I don't know if you remember what the interview that Steve Ballmer gave when the iPhone came out, saying that it was rubbish, it was too expensive, and so on. Uh, yeah, but, how know, how wrong he got that then, didn't he? I mean, obviously, you know, he's biased there, being the uh, the former head of uh, Microsoft. Exactly. So uh, you know how history went on, and uh, obviously that now the iPhone was uh, such a big hit. And but in the beginning, it was quite hard for us with the uh, with the iPhone. Uh, we started developing the iPhone application. It was quite hard also to find the developers to work on the iPhone. But we were lucky enough to recruit some good developers from Belarus. 
uh, in fact, um, just want to you know intervene saying that even if uh, I live in Italy, in Milan, um, I'm actually uh, Korean, but uh, I've been living in Italy since I was five. So I consider myself more Italian than Korean. And also the team uh, that we built here in Italy uh, is very diverse. We have uh, around 15 employees, but uh, we have 10 different nationalities. So you can imagine the, the diversity that we have in the company. In fact, our developers come from Belarus, from Ukraine, from Russia, and from um, Romania. So it's very diverse. It just sounds like a wonderful setup. And there's so many uh, people listening to this right now who would love to get into a startup like that. Uh, how did you actually go ahead and recruit uh, your team? Because uh, it, it does sound like you've, you, you're almost like on the, um, the Starship Enterprise there with all the different nationalities. <clears throat> so I mean, uh, the first uh, the first time that we recruited a developer was obviously through websites like freelancer.com, and once you get in on the freelancer, then there was another website called Odisk that I think I'm sure like most of the listeners use as well. And once you get to you know know these people, uh, it's quite easy for you to get access to other developers that they are friends with. And this is how we got together. I think most of the developers, when they start working with a colleague, if they like them, they work as a, a wolf pack, let's say. You know, they, they move together. So if you ask them, look, we need to develop an Android application, do you know someone? They will probably say, yeah, you know, a good friend that works on the Android application. And that's how we slowly build the team. We, I think in terms of the development process, it's always better to go through... Uh, referrals instead of just recruiting one person out of nowhere, out of uh, just, you know, in a cold way. So I think the most difficult part is find the right developer, the first right developer that will give you also access to other developers as well. Now, now Guk, I love the, the fact that when you were chatting there, you mentioned that you wanted to solve a problem. You first got into mobile and you had this problem of where to eat. And uh, one of the big themes the, of the podcast, um, 193 episodes prior to this, pretty much comes out most of the time, is uh, how to, you know, you look in the real world uh, for your own problems and you try and solve them through apps. And so what, what uh, advice could you give to uh, anyone listening who is uh, thinking about getting into the app world? Uh, how, uh, how important is it, do you think, to solve a real world problem? Well, I mean, everything is moving towards the the cell phones. Uh, I think slowly in the in the future, in the next two three years, we will shift completely from the desktop applications towards the mobile applications. Right? Uh, the tablets. They're saying that the tablet sales are going a bit down, and the the, the mobile the, the smartphone sales are going even further up. But I think that uh, whenever we see, it's uh, we're basically coming going through the appification of the world. Even the enterprise uh, companies, they're you know shifting all their software uh, towards the uh, towards the mobile applications because the users, their employees, they're always on the move and they need to have quick access to these um, these devices, to the software, the data sets. And I think if you have a really good problem, I mean, if you have a solid problem that you are faced with every single day that you're trying to solve with your desktop, I think it's the good case to solve it also for the for the apl- uh, mobile applications. Yeah, so you had this problem then, you're getting hungry, you wanted to know where to eat. In fact, I've got an app I developed as well called uh, Chicken Chaser that uh, helps people in London find uh, restaurants that sell chicken. So uh, how did you go about like solving that particular problem then? what did you, did you have to strike up deals with the local restaurants or did you just then pull from a centralized database and build the app yourself? Perhaps you can walk us through you know, like how you actually solved the problem of finding a good place to eat. 
So basically, in the beginning, um, I think when you, whenever you start an application, you start from the most generic uh, data set possible. So what we did in the beginning when we launched the company was to get the data from uh, online sources out there, like the yellow pages and so on. So the data set was a bit <clears throat> not uh, filtered so much. So instead of finding the right exact name of the restaurant, you will get the name of the company. So the data set looked quite ugly uh, in, in the beginning. But uh, when we launched the application into the App Store, we got uh, lots of visibility because it was one of the uh, few applications in the beginning, uh, few applications that helped the users find restaurants. So we did get a lot of visibility. But one thing that we did a huge mistake on was that uh, developing for the mobile world compared to the web world is completely different. Meaning that for the web world, you follow the the lean advice, right? You launch the first version, it has to be ugly, and you start fixing it as you go on. But in the mobile world, what we realize is that you have to make sure that you deliver the good stuff right away instead of waiting too much. And uh, that was the big mistake, mistake we did. In fact, the database in the beginning was really bad. And we got lots of users that complained to us saying, you know, the database is really bad and uh, they can't easily find the restaurants and so on. So we had to reiterate all the time. We had to do manual labor to actually uh, fix the data sets and in, into, the, into the application. We started with uh, just 3,000 restaurants, and today we're active in seven different countries in, uh, in Europe, and we have over 450,000 restaurants in the database. Well, congratulations. Wow. Congra I mean, <laughs> what you. a huge amount of growth. And, you know, I have to say you are the first guest almost to go against the common thinking, which is uh, to, to get the minimum viable product out there, which is an app, uh, make it ugly, get it out on the app store and, uh, and then iterate and improve it as you go along. But uh, obviously what you're saying is that, you know, people, when they come along to your app, if they're not able to use it, if it's uh, broken, if it's got bugs, they'll just leave a bad review or they'll never go back to it. And that's you lost that, uh, the ability to acquire that user again in the future. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's uh, that, that was the biggest issue that we had. In fact, um, the first year that we launched the application, we had an average rating basically of 1.5 or 2 stars out of 5. And that was a huge problem for us. And we did have lots of visibility because we ended up in the top 50 of the App Store in Italy and so on. And uh, after getting, you know, uh, $5,000 a day or $10,000 a day, we were getting basically destroyed by the users. So that was the biggest mistake that I think we did. But then slowly over the next uh, three, four years, we rebuilt our online reputation for the application and slowly regained the confidence from the users. But that was the, let's say, the, the wake-up call for us that, you know, how much it, uh, it mattered to not follow the minimum viable solution for the mobile industry. Because once they download it and they don't like your application, they just disinstall it. And before you convince that user to download it again and try it again, it might take six to 12 months. Yes. I mean, how did it feel when you were getting 10,000 downloads a day? It must have been just a moment. You must have been going into your stats and just uh, celebrating every day. So it felt a bit like the, the overnight success part because we launched the application, we sent it to the App Store, it got approved. I contacted some uh, mobile blog, uh, sorry, mobile application bloggers here in Italy, and I sent it uh, like to a few of them, and they started writing about it. You know, uh, saying this application just launched to find restaurants and so on. And one big blog posted about this uh, our application, and all other small blogs talked about it. And you know uh, how the mobile um, apps are working in the past. Once you have some momentum behind it with the downloads, basically Apple will push your application up in the in the rankings. 
And this is exactly what happened. And we ended up up to uh, position number six in the top uh, 100 free applications in the, in the App Store, the most downloaded applications. And this brought us a lot of traffic. And this happened so quickly overnight while I was basically still, you know, uh, sleeping. And then when I woke up in the morning, I saw the stats and it was just crazy. And that's, uh, yeah, I mean, it felt really good. But then when you start reading the reviews about users being angry and leaving, you know, negative reviews, then that was, you know, a wake-up call for you. A bit, uh, it was like a mixed feeling you know, from sad to you don't know exactly what to feel. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have to think back to a, a lovely episode we had. It was way back, almost 100 now, uh, I think around about 97, where uh, the developer managed to get to number six as well in the iTunes charts in the most... Uh, uh, I think paid uh, number six charts on uh, Apple, and and he said, like, you know, when you do that, it, it is phenomenal the amount of uh, downloads you you suddenly get overnight, and uh, uh, but but obviously you need that momentum behind you. And so what I've learned from you is it's good, important to have like a pre-launch strategy uh, behind you almost uh, to to kind of approach the bloggers, get the attention, get the buzz, and uh, then Apple will see that within their uh, internal. Uh, algorithm or whatever they do internally we we don't know and uh and then they'll start ranking you yeah exactly and um i mean the, the way we rebuilt the reputation and all these things was the continuous updates that we did uh updating the application in the past also had a good effect because it would basically notify the users all the time now it's automated downloads automated updating but also the good thing was that it kept on improving the um, uh, the download rates Basically, the users will download it and then it will tell their friends about the application. It worked for us. We used it, the, the updates, some sort of asset push notification to the users to remind them that, you know, this application exists and that you should keep using it. But now it doesn't work like that before, uh, uh, like that. But in the past, we used it a lot, updating the application. Whenever we did a small change, we would just, you know, keep updating it. In fact, we had the rate of between one update per every one or two weeks. Wow, that's yeah. Whenever uh, an update, because like we've had another guest who talked about like uh, consider updates another launch effectively of your app, and it's a chance to again, you know, get uh, some buzz about the app. And uh, and I, I, would you suggest that uh, app developers think about that where every time they update the app, then it's almost like a mini launch. Yeah, I think I think it's a it's a really good way to remind the users that you know your application exists in their home screen because the biggest issue that we have now in the app world is that so many there are so many applications obviously there are over a million applications in the app store and the users have so many applications in their phone that you typically even forget that you have that application in your phone installed because you know uh, users download so many of them and i think one of the best ways to remind them that your application is still exists in your phone is to keep updating it yeah good actually we're you know we're sponsored by an app store optimization specialist we think a lot about uh, app store optimization as well and uh, i guess i'm interested to know that uh, do updates affect the uh, rankings i mean if we're thinking about apple in particular because they're the ones it's really hard to uh, assess what's really going on behind the scenes did, did you have anything that negatively impacted your uh, position there within the top 50 category on the app store well uh continuous updates it never affected us so much actually it gave us a lot of visibility it had a really good effect for us 
because um, I mean, I don't know if it has a direct correlation from updating a lot or the quality of the updates that we did. But what we realized by you know doing continuous updates, showing Apple that we're trying to improve the application as much as possible. Uh, in 2012, we won the one of the best applications made in Italy out of four applications. So we got that recognition from Apple. So we were very happy about this. We won multiple um, feature featureings in their apps uh, in the App Store in the homepage of the Apple Store in Italy, and also the latest one that we got was that our application was pre-installed as a demo application in the iPhone 5 and 5s in the in the App Stores, the Apple Stores, sorry, inside the shops. Oh, really? So yeah, you, yeah. you were a default application. Yeah, so people that you know that were in the stores they could test out the application and so on. So we were pretty happy about this, and uh, I think I, I mean I cannot say you know if there is a correlation between updating it you know number of updates that comes along and Apple sees that or if it's the quality, but I presume it's uh, between the both. Yes, yeah, and I'm guessing that there's a lot to do with momentum as well. You mentioned momentum at the start and. Uh, uh, it, that that can have a lot a lot of impact with regards to where you you end up on some of your top keywords that are searched for. So I mean, uh, in fact, one of the key things that worked a lot in the past and now it's a bit, let's say, a black hat or a gray hat and so on, and nobody does it so much, is was to basically uh, we partnered with. Uh, this was in 2011, 2012 when the was still you know uh, easy to manipulate, let's say, in terms of marketing. Uh, we used to work a lot with the bloggers uh, and do contests. We would basically tell them, look, we'll give you a free iPhone or a free iPad, enter this contest, you just have to download the application and so on. And it worked really well for us to get the, you know, up in the rankings and so on. But now there are spe- uh, specific companies that does this, uh, the app, app marketing, uh, I forgot the name, free applications every day. So if you get featured in that application, you will get a lot of downloads and get pushed up in the top rankings. Yeah, I have to say that a uh, chat with one of the listeners, uh, and in fact, actually a previous guest, we were talking about uh, the ability to uh, come in. Again, we're talking about the Apple App Store here. Sorry, it's just a way where I know more, more of um, what's going on. Uh, you come in with a paid app, uh, quite high, and then you, uh, after 24 to 48 hours, you uh, reduce that to free. And it gets picked up because there's such a big price differential. It gets picked up by some of the discount uh, sites. And uh, then it it gives you a bit of buzz and uh, spurs on some downloads. Uh, Have you used that strategy before? Well, I mean, our application always remained free. uh, But what we did was... um, coordinate with the bloggers to make sure that whenever we have news about the uh, about the application they would post it all together one of the things that another things that we did in the past was to get the, when facebook introduced the mobile installs into their platform what we did typically was to you know set aside a budget of 100 or 200 dollars and concentrate it in uh, like one or two hours to tell facebook you have to spend this budget within 2 hours maximum and this basically would push the download rates in that time frame a lot. And we would have the push up on the rankings in the App Store. And this worked quite well in the past. But now Apple obviously got smarter with this. And they avoid you know, having this kind of manipulations in the App Store. Yeah, they're always doing stuff behind the curtain. It's like the Wizard of Oz, and we just don't know what's going on. But you know, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I think. Uh, well, this is fascinating stuff, and I have to say that you know, again, the giveaway. I, I can remember another episode we had uh, with Josh L. It was 
probably 123, something like that. Don't quote me on that. But uh, he was running a giveaway and there was a viral element to those contests at the time. Um, there's, uh, there's software, I guess, that you can have that will... Um, it give you more entries into the contest if you tweet if you uh, promote via facebook you get these additional entries into the contest and it could be quite a, a good way of generating uh, i guess email lists and, and buzz about the app so how did, how did your contest run so basically, uh, we didn't do so much in terms of uh, development side. Basically, we uh, we used to know two, three key bloggers into the in these blogs that talked only about applications on the iPhone. So they had lots of visibility, lots of audience, a big audience. So we would just tell them, look, we'll give you you know some gift cards, we'll give you an iPhone, just run this contest for us, and they were happy to do that even for free because they said you know this way we get more users as well. I mean them themselves because they would have the best contests with the best prices. And that's what we used to do. Yes. Now, there's two more things we need to do good before we say goodbye to you, my friend. And one is that uh, we would love to know if you have any app ideas. We're a bunch of indie app developers listening to this. Uh, we love to try and flesh out ideas for new potential apps. Uh, as an entrepreneur, we find that, you know, you do have a lot of ideas uh, swilling around your head there. Do you have an app idea? If you do, great. Let's talk about it. If not, then we've got another way of fleshing out that, that idea from you. So, I mean, um, there is an idea that I had, but the problem is uh, I think it has uh, to do with privacy issues. So I'm not sure how doable it is. But uh, my idea was to... Um, Facebook provides an API for face recognition and there are, there's an application online called face.com for face recognition as well. My idea was to create uh, an application that you basically take a photo of a person and it would give you all the information about that person. How and awesome is that? But I mean, I think there are issues with the privacy laws and all these things. So we we never like got to into, uh, got into it so much. But uh, the problem came from, you know, some sometimes you go out here and then some people say, yeah, that guy is famous. You know, you see a bunch of people taking photos of this guy, but you never know who that guy is if he's actually famous or not. So the the idea was to take a photo of him and then understand exactly is he famous or not. Like, what does he do? Yeah, that would be great. Uh, I, well, I mean, again, I can think of a past guest who has one of the fastest image recognition uh, software for developers on the planet uh, based in Tokyo. And uh, he was talking about, you know, imagine that integration within Google Google Glass uh, or um, you know, I guess when you're walking down the street, you just literally look at somebody and it can pull up all the uh, information about them. I mean, yeah. Uh, ultimately, I, I do feel that like celebrities should waive their right to privacy. I mean, they're all over the papers anyway, so they don't have any privacy. And so, yeah, we were thinking about this. In fact, uh, we were thinking for criminals, for famous people, and so on, because famous people are public figures. Uh, so technically, you can take a photo of them and then analyze them. There is no privacy in them because they, you know, they are private uh, public figures anyway. Okay, what a cool app. This, so here's the app idea, Apps to Tribe. Are you listening? Get ready you know, to develop this right now. Uh, it's a, a face recognition app. So as you're walking down, maybe it has inbuilt features into Google Glass or maybe just uh, onto your phone. And uh, it will identify any axe murderers that are walking down the street uh, and uh, then set an alarm off. Uh, you have uh, 10 seconds, I guess, to run away. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> I would download personally download or pay for it. So. Or, or you're just chatting to somebody in some networking, and you just pull out your phone. You happen to like get this kind of big alert. You know, this person has uh, killed somebody, or this person has exactly. is is, a, is and obviously um 
a lot of issues there with privacy, but that could be a lot of fun. Maybe there's a fake version that could come out. I don't know. Uh, so, well, what a fantastic idea. So the last one is you are an app you know, d- developer. I guess you run a team of app uh, uh, people there. You must be using apps yourself. We'd love to know what's on your phone. Maybe one or two apps you could recommend to us uh, that uh, you use to help you get through the day. So uh, one of the applications that I use the most is the Reader application for the RSS feeds. Reader with the two E's in the middle instead of with the A, E, A. Uh, this application has actually uh, been you know, promoted heavily by Apple uh, directly. And the, the funny thing is that the developer is from Italy as well. And it's one of the most used RSS feed readers uh, for the iPhone. So I, I, I love that application. Another one that I use the most is uh, Evernote to keep track of all the articles that I have to read or the notes that uh, I have to take. And yeah. obviously, I use Chibando. <laughs> Chibando, yeah, absolutely. And uh, uh, you have to say Evernote as well. It's one of the most uh, commonly uh, referenced uh, apps. It's got to be um, the most used by uh, people in our industry. Uh, now, I have to say, you know, what, what a good idea. Like the ability to, we can work anywhere in the world. You know, we're a bunch of digital nomads effectively. And uh, what what it must be lovely to be able to work in Italy. Yeah. I mean, for living is perfect. I mean, I think for living and for, let's say, for vacationing, for the food, for the views and everything is perfect. But maybe for the, for the industry yet, not so much. I think for the, for the startups world, the technological world, I think London is still better than Milan. And uh, I think even Germany, Berlin, for technology companies, I think it's much better because it's easier for you to recruit people from those places than uh, in Milan. It's it's a bit harder to find good developers here. Yeah, yeah. I guess there's emerging scenes around the world. We all know Silicon Valley in New York, but uh, London, uh, yeah, a lot of interesting places. But Milan, I guess it just is, is yet to emerge as a tech scene. Yeah. I think it's, uh, it has to do a lot with the language barrier because uh, in Milan still uh, not many people speak English. The locals don't speak so much English here in, uh, in Milan. And uh, I think it's natural that most of the developers from East Europe, which I think they're like one of the best in the world, they typically tend to go to English-speaking countries like uh, London, obviously, or San Francisco, but also Berlin. Uh, for example, we have the, the, uh, investors from Berlin. And whenever I go to Berlin... I never seem to be able to learn German because everyone speaks English there. So there's like no point for you to learn German there. And I see lots of expats there from, you know, Eastern Europe or Asia that go there. And even if they stay there for 10 years, they never learn the, the local language. They just speak English all the time. Yeah, well, I love Italy. I've spent many a year going across and snowboarding around uh, Sestriere and uh, all the beautiful places that you've got. So if you are an app developer and if you're working on your own uh, or if you have a team that's remote and you just want a really cool place to live, uh, then uh, I would uh, suggest that getting yourself to uh, Italy and uh, then taking your snowboard with you. And, uh, and, and do the Dolce Vita. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, you're making me jealous now. Uh, well, that's the thing. I mean, this is an inspirational podcast. And it, it you know, we've got to remind people that, uh, yes, you're right. There are scenes, tech scenes around the world. But, you know, who wants to live in a boring uh, place? Who, the, the opportunity to live with good food and and uh, uh, great women. Why not? Uh, so how best can we get in touch? You've been obviously very inspirational and, uh, and no doubt inspired a lot of people listening. How, how best can we reach out and get in touch with you, Gook? 
through email. Um, I read my email every day and I try to reply to everyone. So I'd be happy to receive any email from any of the listeners if they have questions or they need help with something. I'll be glad to help them out. Okay, so that'll be uh, just go to theappguy.co and search out episode 194. Uh, just type in GUK Guk and uh, you'll see uh, his uh, show notes with links to his email and uh, Chibando and all the, the references to the apps as well that we've mentioned today. Good. What an inspirational story. Uh, I've loved that your journey just going through the fact that you got hungry one day and figured that you'd need an app <laughs> and, uh, and now you've got a business around it. So uh, it's just such a great uh, story from an amazing entrepreneur. Thanks for joining us on the App Guy podcast. Thank, thank you very much for having me. Thank you very much.